0: Okay, open up to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read verse 12 through 16. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Let's pray together. God, our prayer is that your word would pierce us, that you would press in to the places that we might have resistance or have hardened ourselves to your truth. Speak clearly to us through this text and through your word. Amen. Well, I can still remember where I was sitting in the room as a second grader, when a teacher decided to make an example of me, and I experienced some public embarrassment. It's one of my earliest memories of feeling totally exposed and rejected. We all have embarrassing moments, but this wasn't the same thing as when I had peed in my pants in first grade, that was embarrassing. This story felt different. You see, peeing in my pants was like an accident. It's a story that I laugh at now because it's hilarious. The difference was that in second grade, this wasn't a mistake that was exposed. It was me. There's a difference in those things. Now, they both absolutely stink, and they make for a really bad day, to say the least. But there's something unique about having others your weaknesses. A more powerful example in my life was as a middle schooler. This was a time in our lives where we want so badly to just be okay, to be accepted, and so one day riding home on the school bus an older boy decided to help me out by telling me all the things that were wrong or ugly or uncool about me. He may have genuinely been wanting to help, but wow, did that hurt. Things that felt personal, even private, were suddenly seen and revealed. I felt hurt. I felt embarrassed. I felt exposed. The last thing that I wanted to think was that other people saw all the ugly parts of me. I could tell you about similar moments that I experienced in team sports, or biology class in ninth grade, even Sunday school class. Exposure hurt, and I wanted to hide. I didn't want people to see the ugly parts of my life. I I wanted people to like me, not reject me. So clearly, I needed a new strategy. I needed to get better at hiding, of course. my. Guess is that you could remember moments in your life where the messiness of your life was exposed. Things that felt very personal were suddenly seen. And you experienced some type of rejection or embarrassment and pain. We all have these experiences because we all have some messiness in our lives that we're trying to just sweep under the rug. In some way or another, we we want. To hide. And so feeling this nightmare feeling of exposure is why there's the the classic example of a recurring nightmare where you show up to school without any clothes on. Now, I never had that nightmare, but I did have a nightmare about getting on the school bus and realizing I was in my underwear. You don't have to be a professional counselor to see why that nightmare was a school bus for me. The truth is, all of us flinch in some way or another at the thought of exposure. Our hearts and minds race with anxiety when we think about others seeing our mess. There's even something called imposter's syndrome, which is a psychological pattern of self-doubt, a fear of being exposed as a fraud. So if Hiding feels safe. Exposure feels dangerous. And our text today, that one lights us up. It hits against all the feels inside of us. Let's jump back in in verse 12 of chapter 4 where it says, The Word of God is living and active We'll stop right there because, friend, listen, these nine words may be everything that you need today. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Yes, the author of Hebrews fully believes it. All through Hebrews, the writer introduces the Old Testament citations with, as God has said, or as the Holy Spirit says, if we had time to study the wider context of chapter 4, we could learn how the author is drawing heavily from Psalm 95, which is a psalm of David, and how the words of David in Psalm 95 are being applied as the word of God to the readers themselves. Now, sadly, this is very different from a viewpoint that we find among so many today. Those who would say about the Bible that it's an outdated book, that it's old words and it needs to be updated to our modern society. It's sad that in many, many Christian circles, there's an attempt to modernize scripture. But right here in the Bible, the author of Hebrews is taking the ancient words of Psalm 95, which would have still been over a thousand years old, even at that time as truth and applicable for the original readers. You know, Jesus himself did the same thing in Matthew chapter 22, responding to the Sadducees. He said in verse 29, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he says to them in verse 31, have you not read what was said to you by God? Jesus is holding these men accountable to the truth that scripture is not outdated, but it's intended to be God's living and active words to us. Scripture is God's living and active word applicable to us. The question is, do you believe that? Because when we give in to the concept that the Bible is outdated and needs to be brought up to date to our modern world, then we're believing something that's fundamentally different than what we see in Scripture itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, "...all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Through his word, God himself teaches us, rebukes and corrects us, trains us in righteousness, and equips us for every good work. This is what makes the Bible so profitable to us. Martin Luther once said, let the man who would hear God speak Read holy scripture. Scripture's not outdated. It is living and active. We love to hide behind the excuse of ignoring scripture because it's not applicable to our lives. We're living in the modern age where science and technology have enlightened us beyond those ancient teachings. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize that there are cultural, historical social differences between ourselves and the original readers. In fact, noticing those details provides us with all the more depth and wonder and beauty in our study. The point is we can't just pass off scripture as irrelevant. As God's living and active word, it's not only relevant but authoritative and binding on us as it was on them. So friends, hear and believe This amazing truth in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active. It changes everything. When we believe that it changes everything rather than just dismissing scripture or undervaluing it. We'll look to apply it in every way possible in our lives. We'll find comfort in knowing that God has words for us now, today, and always. You know, I see so many Christians often searching and seeking out a a new word from God or a a fresh idea, a new revelation. There's this hunger to have something new from God and a searching for that new word. I wonder how this appetite for a, a, a new word would be different if we believed that Scripture is alive and active and it's God's Word for us. Think of the peace and the rest that comes with knowing that you can open this book and find God's Word to you. Not outdated. God's living and active Word. The Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword notice it says sharper now i know that we're not in the habit of carrying around swords side note if you've ever been somewhere where they do that it's kind of crazy but in green county tennessee it's not really a normal habit that we would carry around a sword so it be easy to miss the importance of what's being said it says that god's word isn't like a sword. It says it is sharper, sharper than any sword. Most of us are perhaps most familiar with a dull kitchen knife. It barely cuts warm butter. But our author's intent is just to give us this metaphor. And so the metaphor that helped me the most was to think about a surgeon's scalpel for the purpose of piercing and cutting and separating. It's like spiritual, open-heart surgery. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 11, it says, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh. This is God speaking. And I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people. I will be their God. There's a painful process involved in regeneration. It's a spiritual heart transplant. And painful cutting, it's often required for true healing. That's really what surgery is all about. And the type of surgery that God's word does is in the deepest parts of us. Regeneration requires painful cutting. Paul taught this in Romans chapter 2. An outward show isn't what counts. He's teaching the Jews, listen, even the outward cutting of circumcision, it's only a sign of the inward transformation that God intends. You think back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 where it says, the, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. There's not a magic pill that avoids this type of open-heart surgery. God's Word penetrates and cuts. It's invasive. It's painful. And it exposes us completely. God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is strong and compelling imagery that's meant to convey the idea that God's word can penetrate the deepest parts of us because the intention is to discern our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Keep reading in verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. There's nothing hidden. No creature, all are naked and exposed. And the Greek word there that's translated in the ESV exposed, it has an interesting usage in ancient wrestling where it was used to describe the act of bringing down an opponent with like a hold on the neck. We might imagine a chokehold where somebody taps out because they are completely, entirely helpless. In my study, I found some commentators really preferred to translate the word as helpless instead of exposed because naked and exposed are often used as synonyms. But it's very likely that the author here was trying to convey Two different ideas that we are totally without cover, or naked, and completely helpless. Helpless at the mercy of an all-powerful God. God's living and active word, it uncovers every heart, every act, every intention, every thought and desire. I can't help but recall Adam and Eve in the garden. Back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, when they realized their sin, they saw that they were naked, and then they fashioned coverings for themselves, and they hid from God. It says all the way in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know, the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they ate of the forbidden fruit was to hide. They hid from each other, and they hid from God. They covered themselves and. We like to think that somehow we're different. But the truth is that just like Adam and Eve, your impulse is to fashion coverings and hide. We conceal ourselves from one another and we attempt to conceal ourselves from God. Do you remember what exposed Adam and Eve when they were hiding? God's word. God spoke and his word drawing them out. Look at how Adam responded, In verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Friends, I confess to you that those could have been my very own words. For a long, long time in my life, I didn't realize the theme of hiding. Even those stories I shared at the beginning of this message, those were just Scattered stories in my memory for so much of my life. It wasn't until a few years ago, I began a journey through regeneration, that the pattern became clear. If you don't know, regeneration is a discipleship program that we host every Monday night. You can find out more at FCCREGEN.org. Regeneration changed my life. Not because it's some counseling session in a classroom, but because it's biblical. And it's the most thorough discipleship program I have ever participated in. I would love to tell you my entire story. And if you'd like to ask me about it personally, I'll be glad to share. But a quick snapshot is that I began in regeneration to lay down these walls I had built up to guard myself, and began to look intently at my life through the lens of Scripture. And I did all of that within the context of Christian community. Something amazing happened. The Bible clarified my life. The truth of this passage in Hebrews took place in me. Scripture became a mirror, allowing me to see myself, and I saw more clearly than ever, that the stories of my life weren't just past hurts to use as a justification to hide. You see, for far too long, I had framed the narrative so that I was just a victim of a bunch of mean people. But the truth is much deeper and foundationally spiritual. My desire to hide was rooted in my sin. My desire for the approval of others And for safety, meant that I learned to hide, to deflect, even project my own fears upon others. The truth is, I'm afraid people will see I'm a mess. I'm afraid that you will see my mess, and you'll reject me. But as I allowed Scripture to interpret my life, I learned that my response to these painful moments was an increased desire to hide. Just like Adam and Eve, I thought hiding was the answer. What about you? Are you familiar with the desire to hide? Whether it's trying to hide from others or hide from God or both. Have you even avoided scripture because it's uncomfortably personal? Have you avoided spending time in the Bible or in prayer because you're trying to hide? Take just a moment, right now, to reflect on this question. How have your attempts to hide affected your relationship with God and with others? You know, I used to think that I was pretty good at hiding. I'm not talking about hide and seek, although the illustration fits. Especially now that I have kids of my own. Well, let's just say that kids aren't as good at hiding as they think. I used to think I was pretty good at hiding. That my introvert, stay out of the spotlight, don't say too much tactics worked. I thought that my struggles and my mess were mostly unseen. But you know what's crazy? As I became more honest with those around me, it became okay for them to acknowledge that they they did see my mess anyway. There were moments as I was going through Regen when I would confess something only to have the person tell me, yeah, Tommy, I knew that already. They already knew, and they still loved me. Even saying that now kind of blows my mind. But all of those stories of hurt and pain from earlier when I felt exposed, I noticed that all the ones that really left wounds were the ones where I was mocked instead of loved. I know this because I have many, many other moments of exposure in my life that did not produce deep wounds of hurt. Stories of my mother's love in my childhood. Nervous moments of exposure with doctors who showed great care and love to me. And perhaps the most personal and intimate of all, the love relationship and union with my wife. The difference is that those moments were marked by love. It isn't being seen that hurts. Love is what makes the difference. Friends, the good news today is that we can come confidently before God, fully known completely helpless because He loves us. No matter where you feel that you are today, you have the invitation of God to meet with Him in His Word, His living and active Word. Yes, it's deeply personal and even dangerous because it will change your life. At FCC, we want the study of Scripture to be a habit. We want this to be true in our worship, in our teaching, and in our prayer. And we want the habit of studying scripture to mark our lives individually. So I'd like to offer you three examples of how you can implement this habit right now in your life. The first, join us for seven days of prayer this week. It's an easy place to start. Because every night at our Greenville campus at 7 p.m., we will be gathered to pray and to hear God's truth in Scripture. Second thing, start a Scripture reading plan. Download the Bible app or pick up an ESV study Bible and check the reading plan that's in the back of it. Begin to study Scripture daily. And third, join us for regeneration. On Monday nights, every week at the Greenville campus, join us and begin a journey of regeneration together in Christian community. I want you to think for a moment what it would be like if every single one of us were studying scripture daily. Think of the change that might take place in us. Scripture lays us all bare before a holy God, and this is terrifying. But for all those who submit to the word of God, rather than resisting it, the cutting and the probing and the two-edged sword always results in salvation. In the intensity of this encounter, we'll experience the greatest love we've ever known. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have for us in Christ. We cannot hide. We have no defense before you. You see everything within us. Every thought, every intention. We are utterly helpless and naked before you. So our only defense is Jesus. Our only hope is in Christ, our great high priest. Who has provided us access to come before you confidently. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that we find in our time of need. So in this moment and through your word, change us. Change us. Give us a new heart. Regenerate us to life by the power of Christ in us. We pray. Amen.